Friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton. I'm the founder and chief evangelist for Small Business Matters, and I'm your host for today's podcast. My co-host is Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, good evening. Good evening. Good to be here. Yeah, well, uh, good to have you with us. And Taylor, you know, as I talk to business owners, what I hear consistently is that, well, two things. One, there probably has never been a harder, more difficult time to be managing talent than today. And the second thing that I hear quite often is the amount of uncertainty as it relates to our people today. You know, in the office, is it remote? Is it flexible? Is it four days? Is it five days? It's just all these questions that companies have coming out of COVID about their people. Well, the good news is uh, on tonight's uh, broadcast, we have the smartest person I know on these topics as it comes to human resources and managing talent. We have Hunter Lott with us, and I'm just so pleased to have him with us. I'll start off, I'll, I'll introduce Hunter, and then uh, Hunter will, will ask some questions. But first of all, Hunter, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. Thanks, Tim. I uh, appreciate the invitation. Glad to be here. So, uh, friends, Hunter Lott is a, he's an, he's an HR problem solver. If you've got a talent issue, he's got the answer. He has delivered over 4,000 onstage events, talking to groups of business owners on this topic, over 17,000 presentation hours. He's reviewed over 1,200 employee handbooks. And Taylor, I, he's been so kind. I've had a couple clients who have either been writing or have finished writing their handbooks. And uh, I've forwarded it to Hunter, and he just does a great job of reviewing those handbooks. He's won accolades as a senior course leader for the American Management Association. He also has done some speaking for SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management. He's a, a designated speaker with Vistage. He has been earned a speaker of the year, and that's out of a couple thousand speakers. Impact Speaker of the Year and Top Performer Vistage Honors. number of our listeners I know are Vistage members and speakers and chairs. Taylor Hunter is very well educated. He attended for his first two years. He attended Tulane University in New Orleans, where I am an alum and can appreciate. He then went on to graduate from Iowa State University, which makes him a, a Big 12 guy. And then got his master's degree in employment law from Nova Southeastern University down in South Florida. He lived for a number of years in Minneapolis. Today, he resides. He's such a lucky guy. He lives in Phoenix, Arizona, a beautiful place to reside. So, Hunter, again, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. Thanks, Tim. So, Hunter, we're going to start off with that we always start off with uh, with our guests. And that is, what is it that you do that matters to small business? HR has been such a, a pain point over the years, not a, a high priority as, as, a, as a small business gets going, uh, but the leadership team gets tired of answering all the questions about sick leave. And so they go to payroll and say, you're our HR person, make it happen. And, and really don't pay a whole lot of attention until there's an issue. So I come along and I say, hey, HR, uh, if it's done right, should be a profit center. HR is about your investment in human capital. You're going to find as you grow in small business, the, the, the issues you tend to process revolve around people. 
So what matters is getting the confidence you need from an HR point of view to be able to make the call, whether it's hiring, firing, uh, whatever it is. Hunter, tell our audience a little bit about how you've gotten to this point in your career and what you do for a living consulting small businesses on HR practice. Yeah, it's fun for any of us. You kind of look back at forks in the road and, and the decisions you made. I started out in corporate America. I was an underwriter with Allstate Insurance. I joined a Toastmasters group, mainly because my boss at the time was deathly afraid of public speaking. Um, I didn't have that problem, but he said, you're coming with me. Uh, I need company. So I started to do Toastmasters and compete. And somebody came along and said, you know, there's uh, seminar companies here in Kansas City that will pay you to do that. I said, really? And so I submitted this. <laughs> it's funny now to think about it. I submitted a 20-page resume, um, covered, a three-ring binder, suede covered. I said, okay, these people are not, uh, you know, how do I separate myself from the pack? Um, and I thought, well, if they've got a, a, a stack full of resumes, uh, they're going to pick this one first because it clears a couple of inches. Um, and sure enough, that's what happened. I got interviewed, got hired, um, and started to do seminars on leadership and management. Um, the, the the attorney who was doing hiring and firing compliance uh, got sick or had some conflict. And so the owners of the company said, hey, you'll go out and do this. I go, I don't want to do this. And I said, yes, you do. I said, okay, well, just talk to Mike and Mike will tell you everything you need to know. And uh, it's one day in Denver, you'll be fine. So I did. Mike said, uh, just go through the notes as I've written them and don't answer any questions. Save the questions till the end. They'll be so tired they won't have any. I said, okay. I was like, my notes said 3.30. And, and my watch said 1.30. So I'm two hours ahead in content. So I threw it open. So what questions do we have? And I did the jury thing. Hey, come on, come on. What do, what do we all think about this? I said, just get me through this day. A few weeks later, the owners called me in and said, uh, what'd you do in Denver? And, and they, they had this stack of papers and they were just patting them as they said it. I thought, oh man, my career is over. I said, well, I did what Mike said. Did you do exactly what Mike said? I said, no, Mike said, don't handle any questions, but I was two hours ahead, I handled the questions. And they looked at me and said, we got over 80 letters. Now this is back before email. And we were dealing with a couple hundred people every day. 80 letters came saying how good your presentation was. So we fired Mike and you're now in charge of hiring and firing. So over the years then, you know, if you teach something long enough, you get good at it. and. People ask you questions and you research and you develop answers. And, and so I, I, I kind of fell into that. Um, I loved it dearly. Uh, and then I just focused on it. Uh, then the career went with Vistage and that area. So I do public speaking for them, working with small business owners across the country. And now pretty much focused on these types of presentations to small business owners uh, and their managers. So it was a, a kind of an evolution uh, but a, a, that I fell into, but dearly loved and just kept going. So Hunter, I started off the program suggesting that, that this may be the most difficult time in our history in terms of managing people, talent, and maybe the most uncertainty we've ever seen. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And then from there, take us into what you see as maybe the the 
biggest, most difficult issue that that folks in HR are facing today? Yes, um, we have no real frame of reference. Where we are now, the lowest unemployment in 50 years. Uh, Talking about recession, how can you have a recession with 3.4% unemployment? Well, we don't think you can. Well, maybe you can. um, Who knew that the millennials would get even with the boomers by quitting? This is great. Look what happened. And so what do we do? What do we do? There is, I think, some solace for all of us in that nobody really knows. Uh, you know, I listened to the, the high profile Marcus Buckingham and Lencioni and Daniel Pink, and they're all like, yeah, here's what we're trying. Let's see what happens. Um, because there really is no kind of frame of reference. Um, what we have learned is that some of the basics of good leadership, into the Demings, the Drucker, Christensen, oh, about communication and, and treating people well, have been kind of reestablished during this crisis. And those companies that paid attention to their mission statement and really practiced you know, what they preached are thriving. At the same time, the expectations of employees are so much higher saying, no, we expect a lot from our leadership team. You better be talking to me. Uh, You better have a career path for me. You better be doing the things you promised to do, because if you don't, I'm out of here. And so we're we're in this kind of fascinating place where companies are are trying different models. Um, I think the remote is here to stay, not going away, not going back the way it was. It's just not going to happen. There's too much talent that we can hire remotely. So how do you manage that? Some kind of hybrid. You have people in some locations that are working together. I'm not one of those that says, well, they got to be, you know, all together around the water cooler to collaborate. I think collaboration is more about the leader and the space that the leader creates. I've been around companies that have been virtual since day one for years and are very successful and people buy in to what's going on. So it's more about how we're treating employees. I'm here in Phoenix, and I loved um, the new owner of the NBA team. Uh, here is Matt Ishbaya, the youngest owner in the NBA. Uh, took his dad's business and built it into this huge, very successful operation. And um, they asked him, what's your secret to success? And he, I thought he was great. He says, oh, the strategy is easy. Um, you hire talented people. You train and develop them to be their best selves, and you treat them so well they don't want to leave. And I thought, wow, there, that's that's it in a nutshell. Now, now the, the hard part of that is the execution side of it. Human nature tends to get in the way. So trying to figure out here, okay, what atmosphere do we create? Um, How do we live our values um, and and get our product and service to market successfully? Um, And and that's what companies are scrambling. How do I do this? Different companies trying different things. And I think we'll continue to try. The technology is going to get easier to pull this off. I think the number one issue is to, to your second question about HR. From a legal point of view, it's pay, pay transparency, wage an hour. From a, a leadership point of view, it's retention of talent. The boomer generation, my generation, supplied almost an unlimited headcount. We didn't have to worry about this. We didn't worry about culture. I don't care how happy you are. Come to work. Do your job. Shut up. Go home. 
And that model worked for decades because you had, again, an unlimited pool. You don't like it? I'll fire you. I'll put a help wanted sign. Ten people show up, put three of them on probation, get rid of two of them after 90 days. You, you guys are a dime a dozen. <laughs> and then oh, command and control. No, it doesn't work anymore. 10 million jobs, 6 million unemployed. You're not even hiring from the unemployed group. Um, so I love these bosses. Uh, you will be back at work at this date. And the employees are going, mm, no, uh, I won't. He was great. What the frustration. He called me up, said, I'm going to set a, a, a drop dead date. My 80 employees are going to be here. I said, why are you calling me? He said, I, my HR person said to call and that you would be on my side. I said, no, I'm not. Have you talked to them? I don't have to talk to them. If they want a job, they will be here as of this date. I sent them an email. I said, okay. What, you don't think this will work? I said, what if half don't show up? He says, I'll fire them. That's what's wrong with you people in HR. You have no principle. No principle. That's what's wrong in this country. No accountability. I mean, he went on this rant. I said, well, thanks for calling. Good luck. A few months later, he called me back. I, I don't know if HR made him or who. And he's the first thing I hear on the phone. Didn't work. I said, who is this? He said, I'm the guy with the 80 employees that set the drop dead date. I said, oh, yeah, I remember you. Yeah. How many people showed up? Three out of the 80. Three showed up. He said, what do I do? I said, well, if you had any principle, well, you'd fire the 77. That's what's wrong in this country is leaders that don't have principle, that aren't accountable. There was this long pause. And, and finally, he, um, he said, sarcasm, right? I, I said, yes. Uh, now you're going to have to go back and do what I told you to do. Talk to each and every one of them. Find out what the situation is, where they are, why they didn't come back, what they want, and then put, put your business back together again. Oh, geez, didn't used to be this way. I said, no, it didn't. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and, and I can't find an attribution. If the rate of change outside your business is more than the rate of change inside your business, you're going out of business. So I think that kind of lays the groundwork and, and this effort now to retain the talent, the A players that we have, uh, becomes really a, a driving force for small business. How do you do that? Because that's actually, I think, probably the the challenge, right, is we see all these dynamics changing due to the pandemic and due to different generations, all these different factors. But what are what are some things that employers and leaders are doing today that seem to be working or that are at least heading in the right direction? Good question. Big picture. Um, those companies that I'm working with that have now made a, a transition, a shift treating applicants and employees like customers are successful. These are customers. They have choices. They don't have to work for you. Um, so, so whether it's an interview that turns into an audition, answering the question, why? Why should an A player, in, in most cases, leave their current job and come work for you? What does success look like in this job and how do you measure it? I mean, there's some some critical questions now we've got to answer. But this shift that employees, applicants are customers uh, and that we meet the needs of the customer and those needs are, are a moving target. They're constantly changing. And by understanding that, then as you go to make um, decisions based on that kind of big framework, um, much more successful 
you fail faster when it doesn't work. You learn from that experience. But that's one thing that, that's, I think, really been helpful um, is this idea that the command and control, do it because I say so, is an option as a leader that for the most, of, for the most part is off the board until at least the end of the decade when the Gen Zs and the millennials really do start to outnumber uh, everybody else. That approach helps in terms of decision making on a on even on, on a small level. Hunter, it's it's difficult to pick up a daily newspaper nowadays and not see some company announcing a major layoff, ten thousand here, fifteen thousand here. My guess is we have at least one listener of this podcast who is on the verge of of a layoff, whether it's one or a hundred. What advice do you have for that business owner as they're considering uh, laying someone off today? Yeah, this fascinating situation we're in, if you look at the jobs numbers, 500,000 jobs, most of them centered around hospitality and healthcare. Then you have the tech side, just like you said, Tim, and other small businesses that are reevaluating. Wait a minute, I've got too many people in the wrong spot here, here, here. I've got to cut my numbers. I got to cut my numbers. So the, the reduction in force is an, an opportunity for some small business to upgrade some of their jobs in terms of their hiring. As you look at a reduction in force, the big issue on reductions in force is not the people that um, are leaving. But, but the people that survive. So how we do this is critical with respect, some kind of process. And, and you could go, you know, the last one hired, the first one gone, uh, which I don't think is in small business best interest. There may be a particular client that you lose or part of your business you're phasing out. Anyone associated with that side of the business is out. Also an opportunity for those people whose behavior over the last few years you have tolerated because you had to, uh, a time to, to say, you know, um, I don't have to tolerate this anymore. And that part of the reduction of force are going to be uh, behavior issues that, that, yeah, they perform, but their behavior just doesn't match our core value, not the right person. I wouldn't enthusiastically rehire this person. Um, and so the reduction in force becomes a necessary pain, but also an opportunity in terms of your numbers uh, based on the process um, to also deal with some problem employees. And I've seen a lot of this um, one person reduction in force. I'll just get rid of so and so. No, you got 50 employees, you got 30 employees. One person's going to sit by getting rid of Taylor. That's going to save your business. Uh, why are you Why are you going after Taylor? Well, I'll make them miserable till they quit. You know, we like you just fine. We had to cut your hours to one. Like, no, this isn't the way to manage. And it sends a message to the survivors of the reduction in force. I better start looking for work uh, because I made it through this one, but I may not make it through the next cut. And these are tough conversations because a lot of times it's out of the control. It's based on numbers. It's math. It's business. With big companies, you know, they're working with thousands of people, smaller businesses. It may just be a dozen people, but it's a dramatic effect on the culture of the workforce going forward. So it needs to be handled carefully. One of the things I, I think back to, Hunter, as I'm, I'm listening to you speak is this quote or this phrase that gets tossed around a lot. I think it goes like, you, you hire slow, but you fire fast. And I'm curious if you think that still holds true in today's workplace or not. 
Nope, it's gone, 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 gone. <laughs> I, I, all these people are, are, well, we'll hire slow. I said, yeah, we did that in 1950. Uh, and if you think a PDF is is something new and exciting, then then okay. But th- th- this is not where we are. <laughs> you should be so well prepared. You could make the offer at the first interview. I mean, how long do you play with customers? Well, we'll think about doing business with you. We'll play with you for 90 days, maybe six months, maybe a year. Um, but we really won't commit to you. We really don't want your business that bad. And we don't know what we're doing. Uh, you can hear my rant. You'll know when your process is too slow, when you go to make offers and those people are already gone. It means being prepared. What behavior characteristics are successful? Answer the why question. Why should they come work for you? Just like a sales meeting, why should a customer do business with you? You won't always hire at the first interview, but so well prepared you could. So now it's um, now it's hire fast and fire fast, which is funny because we, we tend not to fire fast. Oh, yeah, yeah, we fire fast, except for Tim. What do you mean, except for Tim? Well, he's toxic. What do you mean he's toxic? He's toxic. Well, how long has he been around? Uh, Six years. Well, how long has he been toxic? Well, five years. Did he get a raise last year? Oh, yeah. But don't tell me to get rid of toxic Tim, because I'll just hire some new toxic person. He's my toxic. So it's, it's one of those things we love to talk about this. Hire slow, fire fast. Um, now, it, it's literally hire fast, so well-prepared you could, and um, deal with the problem people. Good people know who the bad ones are. They know we know, and they're looking toward us for some leadership. Friends, you're listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. Hunter, I want to go back to something that you had, had said, uh, mentioned earlier about uh, pay transparency. I, I, I find this to be a very interesting topic. You know, there are some companies that have complete pay transparency. I know what Taylor makes. Taylor knows what Hunter makes. Hunter knows what Tim makes. Some companies, there's some sense of what people, some people, different levels, some range. And then many, many Vistage-like companies, many small businesses, no one seems to know, but everyone's guessing. I'm curious, where? what do you advise your clients when it comes to pay transparency? Yeah, a lot of things going on with this. One, this is coming. We see it. Colorado now started it. California, New York City, I think, where you have to publish pay ranges in order to um, place an ad or, or recruit. Um, so, so I think this is coming. Um, and there's some companies, like you said, Tim, that that are totally transparent. Here's exactly what, what Taylor makes, and they outline it, and everybody knows. I'm not so sure that that's practical for most small business, but certainly the ranges. I should have a minimum maximum for this job description in this company and be willing to, to publish that. When all this started to happen, one guy said to me, oh, yeah, I just put, you know, 30000 to $2 million. And I said, oh, how'd that go? He said, oh, you know, it's one of those you don't think it through. So my best employee in the job came to me and said, I saw the ad. I want to know who's making $2 bucks. I'm not making $2 million. He told me I'm the best. Where's the $2 million? I want my $2 million. And I had one, he goes, one unhappy A player. Um, so I think this is coming. This is part of the whole pay transparency, pay equity. I mean, Tim, you and I have been around long enough. We grew up in business. We do not discuss salaries at this place of work. 
Why? Because our pay plans are unfair and illegal. Uh, and, and basically, we just didn't want to have the conversation. Uh, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. And the net result um, was that women's pay, especially, were artificially low. Um, and then we played this game when we interviewed, okay, what are you making currently? Uh, which is also something I suggest you do not ask. In, in some states, salary history is, is off, uh, legally off the table. But I don't think it's a good idea anywhere. Um, the fact that this person was was underpaid here, uh, and if we adjust accordingly, then that person, quote unquote, will never catch up. Uh, what's the job worth to us? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not on board yet totally with this. Everybody knows what everybody else makes. But uh, I do know that but millennials and Gen Z's have no filter. And on bonus day, they'll swap electronic pay stubs. So you better be prepared as the leader to have the conversations. Um, one default that we've seen is, well, I don't, I don't even want to talk to them. I'll just give everyone a 5% raise. Aren't I generous? I said, no, it's terrible. Well, I gave 3% raise for 12 years. I said, yeah, I know. Uh, but to give everyone the same raise, so there's no difference between good employees and bad employees, everyone's treated the same. Now, that's old school. Again, think business. How many of you treat your best customer and worst customer the same? Uh, for most of us, if we did that, we'd be out of business uh, because we're not willing to have a conversation with someone. I'm not going to bonus my best people or give them a raise uh, or be willing to say, hey, you're not up to speed, but this is what you need to do. Um, so this this whole issue on, on pay transparency, I, I think, is not only legal and kind of legally driven, it's also a culture issue um, and, and, and I think a, a healthy move. Um, it's going to force leaders to do what they should have been doing, having conversations. It's going to force HR or payroll in small businesses to, to develop. Here's the minimum and maximum for each one of these jobs and, and be prepared to publish those. Um, I think it's it's all healthy. But like any change, there's, you know, <laughs> you know I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And a lot of companies won't do it until they have to. Uh, but but uh, I, I'm all in favor. All right, Hunter. Last uh question before we get to the rapid fire. And my dad sort of prefaced this early on in the conversation, but it seemed five years ago or so, unlimited PTO was like the, the hot thing. And, and now it's it's much more mainstream and we start hearing things like four-day work weeks. So uh, I'm, I'm curious if you see that the same and if you have any other, um, I'll call them just benefits that are, are sort of eking into the, uh, the surface. Unlimited PTO was very popular for a short period of time. Uh, the surveys now show that a very small percentage of companies really across the board hung on to unlimited PTO. Big companies loved it originally because the, the Sarbanes-Oxley took 1,200 pages off their reporting, um, and they didn't have to pay anything out at the end. But what, what they also found out that in an unlimited, people took less PTO than they did before. Well, why? Well, the supervisor came up, you know, and said, oh, Taylor, take all the time you want. <laughs> if you don't get your job done, we'll fire you. <laughs> yeah, your vacation's away from work, but never without work. You will handle every email. You will answer every phone call. You will attend every Zoom meeting. So welcome to unlimited vacation. What do you think? And so it, it kind of backfired. Certain jobs, I think, um, you could still do a sales job. You meet your quota this month, take the rest of the month off. 
or certain employees. Taylor, you're a superstar employee. Uh, I totally trust you. You get unlimited vacation. Take whatever you need. There's still about half the country employers are, are with the use it or lose it. Not my favorite. I really like the the, the you earn PTO based on length of service. Um, we can bonus based on performance behavior. Uh, but then cap the accrual at one and a half times what they can earn in a year. That way it doesn't get out of control, but you're out of the babysitting business. And I bundle wherever I can, um, sick leave, um, vacation, bereavement, uh, out of the babysitting business as much as I can. Um, and so that my favorite is the, is the PTO that accruals with a, a, an accrual cap so that we can manage it. Um, um, th this time is important. Um, the flexibility is something else. Uh, and so working, you know, two days a week from home uh, is going to be, I think, continue to be a great benefit. Um, I'm seeing um, paid uh, parental leave and it's not required, but we're one of the last civilized, developed, whatever phrase you want to use, country in the world that doesn't have paid family leave. So so I, th I think that's coming and a lot of small businesses are doing even two to four weeks with pay for mom and dad, um, childcare, uh, elder care. What are they going to do with Tim and Hunter? We got to do something with these old timers. Where are we going to put them? Um, and so elder care as, as, a, as a benefit. Um, so, so companies are, are getting sabbaticals. A lot of burnout in middle-level managers with your A players. We have really pushed these A players to their limit. Um, and so companies are saying, hey, uh, take six weeks off. Go to a special project. Do something um, to your heart, your passion, and we'll pay for that. Uh, so companies are getting creative. Again, treat them so well they don't want to leave. Taylor, I've got just got one more question I've got to ask Hunter, and then we'll, we'll turn to the rapid-fire Hunter, you reference HR as a profit center, I, and I find that in, an interesting idea. So many business owners that I talk to, they have a hard time determining a, a return on investment on on human resources, and it just seems like an expense. And it's a you know they they don't they don't even like the idea of having an HR department because what return am I going to get on that? So uh, to help us understand, how do we see HR as a profit center? Everywhere else in our business, sales, marketing, operations, finance, IT, we, we, we've got these numbers. We've got data. I, I ask small business owners, you know, what's your most profitable product or service? They can answer. Some can give me their EBITDA, their margins. And then I say, uh, what's your turnover rate? And they say, low. I said, low is not a number, but it's low. <laughs> what's your turnover rate of A players? Uh, what's your cost to hire? Cost of replacement. And one guy goes, that's soft money, soft money. It was fun. There was a CFO in the room and I pointed and I said, do you have a definition of soft money? And she was great. She said, yeah, it's the money we're losing. We don't track. Oh, and that's kind of what's happened with HR. Of course, HR is not a profit center. You don't track the numbers. Um, real simple things. Um, a players especially, uh, it'll cost you probably 50%. Just That's an easy number. 50% of their salary. 
to go out, screen, interview, hire, train up to speed, including the lost business, lost productivity, whoever's doing the training. So if they're making 150,000, it'll cost 75,000 to go out, find, screen, hire. We don't track that money anywhere. Um, so if you cut your turnover rate, I, and one company say, we cut our turnover rate from 87% to 17% in a year and a half. And we tracked the cost of replacement, what it meant to us. And it was an unbelievable savings. Um, HR is a profit center. Your A players will outperform average players uh, times four. But that means you need to know what success looks like and how you measure it. Um, so start to look at the numbers. Um, turnover rate of A players, national average is 3%. Uh, which is relatively low, meaning that we do tend to take care of our A players. But if you're over 3%, that's that's a clue. Look at your replacement cost for some of these jobs, uh, and you'll start to add up this money that, that we're not even tracking now. Um, and, and I think that's where um, HR becomes a profit center. Very good. Thank you. So, Hunter, we're now going to go to the final uh, section of our show today. We call it rapid-fire questions. This is Taylor's favorite part of the show. <laughs> He's going to ask you some difficult, quick-answer questions. His intention is to stump you. He's had success in the past. I don't think he's going to be successful today. <laughs> Taylor, it's all yours. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. I was going to say, wow, what a setup. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> All right. So handful of questions, short answers. We'll start okay. with an easy one. Uh, what's your favorite HR book? Ooh, uh, First Break All the Rules. It's an old book, been around a long time, but I still love it. All right. Thumbs up from Tim there. Uh, next question. Uh, what is uh, your favorite or perhaps most impactful interview question a manager can ask? To do your best work, how do you need to be managed? Mm. Good oh, one. I got another one, Taylor. I, I know I'm not supposed to do this. But okay, this we'll give you another of, one. Go, go. I, I was just at Disney. I got, um, I called up. I need a receipt. And I got a cast member. and said, will you take a survey? I said, yes. And they asked the survey. Well, how was the cast member? Cast member was great. Disney, Disney, Disney. And their final question was, if you were a small business, is our cast member you just talked to someone you would hire? And I thought, ooh, what a great question. I love it. There's a lot of creative questions out there. That is a great one. Love it. Third rapid fire question. What's the quickest way you can get sued by an employee? Not to know the difference between exempt and non-exempt. Nice. Technicality. I like it. So we mentioned that you uh, spent some time in New Orleans at Tulane. Do you have a favorite spot in New Orleans? Uh, Felix's. Oyster House. I, I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been back in New Orleans a while. Uh, but still yeah. there? Yeah. Raw oysters. Raw yes. Oysters. Yeah, um, nice. It used to be a dozen, oyster, a, a dozen oysters for a buck and a half. Very nice. All right, a couple more. Uh, so you live in Phoenix. What's your favorite thing to do in Phoenix? Ooh, um, <laughs> sit out on the porch in February and text my friends in Minnesota when it's blizzard <laughs> cold. Sounds like today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we'll get you out of here on this. This is a, uh, a show favorite. Who is the celebrity or actor that plays Hunter in the movie about Hunter? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Great, Good choice. Answer. Great choice. 
Oh, boy. Uh, Taylor, I was keeping track of the score, and hands down, Hunter is the winner of today's rapid-fire uh, he, he was one of the best, I have to say. He was, re- he was ready today. Friends, you've been listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. Our guest today has been Hunter Lott, the HR problem solver. Hunter, I'm sure some of our listeners will want to reach out to you after today's uh, show. What's the easiest way for them to contact you? Just go to hunterlot.com. There are various resources, email, there, get in touch with me. Uh, the website's the best place to get me, hunterlot.com. Perfect. Thank you. Well, Taylor, I've got a, a page full of uh, notes here. I love what Hunter had to say about uh, pay transparency, about remote, about layoffs. We're no longer hiring slow or hiring fast. We're now we're back to uh, hiring fast and firing fast. I get it all confused, but it makes perfect sense the, the way that he talked about it. Uh, how about for you? Any particular takeaways, Taylor? Yeah, I think he just busted a bunch of myths about HR. Definitely the the hiring slow and firing fast phrase. I think a lot's changing in the the business world, especially as small businesses have been probably more reactive than than others with larger HR resources. So just a ton of great information and, and appreciate Hunter being on the show. Yeah, fantastic. A couple quick things, uh, Taylor. I want to remind our listeners, if you're not already a subscriber to the Small Business Matters newsletter, it's easy. Just go to our website, smallbusinessmattersonline.com. Would love to have you be the recipient of our monthly free uh, Small Business Matters newsletter. If you've not listened to all of our previous Small Business Matters uh, podcasts, you can find those on our website. I'd like to ask each of our listeners to please rate, review, and, and again, subscribe to the Small Business Matters uh, podcast. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters.